are plenty of stories of tragedy and devastation, right. but yeah. we had really struggled to find others to relate to who understood to find these messages that recovery is possible and, and many, many people thrive, uh, you know, with their conditions, whatever yeah. it may be. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Lost and Searching, previously known as the Mindful Leader podcast. Here in Season 2, we're focusing on the theme of stress and breakdowns. Today, we're speaking with Dr. Zachary Burton. Now, Zach is a very, very interesting person who has done so many things that we can learn so much from today. He co-founded and leads an organization called the Manic Monologues, which is an organization highlighting diverse mental health experiences via theater and film to help disrupt stigma. As well as that, Zach is a founding board member to the Coalition for Action for Preventative Mental Health in Kenya, a board member to the Columbia WHO Center, World Health Organization Center for Global Mental Health, an advisory committee member to Generation Mental Health, and quite a few other things. And he also lives with bipolar disorder and psychosis, as well as all of the work that he does and being a founder in the mental health space. So he is one of the most perfect people to be talking to and to be hearing his story today was really fascinating. Before we get started, I wanted to let you know that if you enjoy the show, you can really help me out by filling out a survey I'm running at the moment throughout Season 2. It helps me out immensely, and you'll be in a chance to win a giveaway. More about that in the description. But without further ado, let's get into it. Self-sabotage is our conscious and our subconscious resisting, you know, the conflict between the conscious and the subconscious, and it's that resistance that we are trying to understand and overcome. How people become aware of how their minds work. What are their default settings? Do they tend to be overly optimistic or overly pessimistic? All of us have the same regrets when we die. All of us have pretty much the same regrets. Why didn't I live truer to my own purpose? Why was I swayed by other people's ideas of what I should do? Many leaders feel that they have to be perceived as bold and strong and courageous. And there's almost this thought that a lot of people have in which they feel they can't show others that they're weak. But at the end of the day, we're all human beings. All right. Zach, thank you so much for joining me today. How are you? Doing all right, Seven. Thanks for asking and thanks for having me on. It's uh, it's terrific to be here chatting with you. Yeah, likewise. I'm so kind of looking forward to this one. We spoke for the first time a few days ago, and I feel like your story just, it really resonated with me, and I think it's going to really resonate with some of our, our listeners today. So I think we're just going to jump in. I'd love for us to learn a little bit more about who you are and the things you've been through. And so I guess my first question for you is, tell us a little bit about your story and who you are and, and what you've experienced that kind of brought you to where you are today. Sure thing. Yeah. So, you know, I'm, I'm originally, I was born in San Francisco, but grew up in both the Canary Islands and Spain and Germany. And you know, eventually through then attending college in the U.S. and Maine, and then winding up in a Ph.D. program at Stanford, 
is really the this sort of um, <laughs> the grounds for where my own experiences in the mental health realm really kicked off. I you know I have a couple family mm. members who live with or lived with uh, mental health conditions, but for me it really started during my PhD program. This is back in 2017, and basically as I was approaching this sort of pivotal moment in my program, this large exam, I had a these weeks-long period of escalating mania, which ultimately culminated in full-blown mm. psychosis and a full-blown psychotic break. And so I was then hospitalized for a couple weeks and then entered months of therapy, individual group therapy, and had to sort of go through that mm. process of rebuilding. So that was my own um, intro to the yeah. mental health world uh, was really in this sort of, you know, the, the crisis moment through to, to recovery, yeah. um, getting back on my feet and, you know, not only in this sort of personal life, but also in the, in the workplace yeah. and the professional realm, you know, I can share more about my mental health involvement now, but that sort of is the backdrop. We, we tend to have one of two things happen to us it happens to us either one or two ways either number one something along the lines of what i experienced where it just slowly slowly got worse and i didn't really know why and then what it sounds like happened to you is often a, a flip side where it can just suddenly hit you all at once and you don't know where it comes from it sounds like a scary process yeah i think especially for you know my girlfriend at the time for my friends and roommates for my family members, I think for them, you know, it was absolutely terrifying. For me, I was so out of myself that I, you know, I didn't, I didn't right. even really have the wherewithal in the moment to realize at all what was happening. Um, you know, in retrospect, I can recognize certainly symptoms leading up to um, to, to mm. that ultimate experience with psychosis. Uh, certainly, there were warning signs, but you know. I miss those. Uh, my friends miss those as well, just because, you know, I had this mm. huge, very stressful moment in my PhD program. So I think we all attributed, you know, that the changes that were happening in my own behavior and, and my own emotions um, to yeah. that, you know, to that moment in the in the program. But, you know, as you said, it's absolutely sort of, <laughs> I mean, brings to the forefront these kind of experience that can in, just hit us all of a sudden. And, and it was yeah. certainly a, a frightening moment, I think, for everyone. Yeah. And if you don't mind sharing some of those symptoms that you mentioned, I think it's interesting to explore. Obviously, hindsight's always twenty twenty, right? I think it's interesting yeah. to explore a little bit what were some of those symptoms? Because it can help to be aware of what we need to look out for within either ourselves in the future or with the other people that are around us, right? So as much as you're, you know, you're happy to share, what were some of those symptoms that you, in hindsight, feel like might have been warning signs? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it is so critical. And, um, you know, I, I know so many incredible individuals now who live with various uh, diagnoses or conditions. And then for me as well, mm. you know, recognizing symptoms that start to arise is, you know, it, it's something that those who live in management, who live in recovery, um, you know, managing oh, yeah. our conditions and thriving in the workplace, you know, it becomes 
<laughs> I often say I, I've mm. become more self-aware than ever before because you can sort of tune in. To, yeah, totally. I mean, tuning into some of those warning signs um, and then exercising proper self-care. And so for me, it was it, it, truly this um, escalating state of mania. And so for me, it manifested as, you know, extremely excited, super passionate, uh, absolutely sleepless nights. I mean, I was getting a couple hours of sleep every night and just wholly engaged, wholly engrossed in in what I was doing, feeling on top of the world. And then that started to transform into you know, more delusional thinking, you know, thinking that I had some special purpose that, I mean, this mm. is something I common here of, of friends who, who live with bipolar or with schizophrenia who've experienced psychosis is, is this, um, you know, almost either magical thinking or delusional thinking where truly this, this very strange, all captivating um, sense of, of purpose, at least for me, you know, became clear. And then the night of my psychotic break, all of those sort of grandiose ideas and this passion transformed uh, very suddenly into, into crisis and into paranoia and into a fear that yeah. You know, the fear that the world was out to get me. So it was it, it certainly quite the journey there within those couple months leading up to it. Thank you for sharing that with us, Zach. I feel like something that would be really useful for me and, and interesting for our guests who aren't aware of it as well is if you walked us through a little bit about what you actually mean when you say mania and psychosis, right? What are these things? How do they impact you and what kind of experiences and worries does it create because what you just described to me almost started to sound like a superpower at the beginning but obviously we know as you just described there's some awful it isn't a positive experience it's it's got a lot of issues associated with it so yeah what what is this experience of of psychosis and mania that you're kind of describing to us yeah absolutely and and i mean Certainly that, you know, the two are distinct, although mm. can often be related, especially with those who may live with bipolar disorder or who may live with schizophrenia or schizoaffective disorder. And so for me, the, the mania component is, you know, you mentioned sort of a superpower. It's, um, I think that can be, you know, one of the difficulties in living with bipolar disorder because it can almost be, you know, sort of intoxicating because it is this euphoric feeling, mm. you know, associated with feelings of heightened creativity, super high energy, um, just yeah. excitement and sort of this, you know, this gusto for life. And so as we were talking about with symptoms that came up, there's, of course, like the array of standard symptoms. It can be anything from, you know, sort of spending uh so to speak, recklessly or driving fast or heightened sexuality, these types of things are kind of like the standard symptoms that people are provided with, but basically capturing, you know, that state of this sort of euphoria. And and then of course, um, you know, the caveat is those states of mania can oftentimes be followed by extreme lows, extreme periods of depression. And so with psychosis, you know, so for my experience, m- most of those weeks leading up to my hospitalization were this state of mania, this this state of excitement and energy, um, euphoria, really. 
And then the psychosis itself was distinct in that it, it was sort of marked by me really, really losing touch with reality there. And so I had mentioned kind of these, these delusions, these beliefs that were not at all grounded in reality. And this can be anything mm. from, you know, for me, uh, if I was in the car uh, looking at license plates and, and sort of interpreting all of these different license plates out before me at a stoplight to have this sort of special meaning, these special codes being sent to me, interpreting, you know, like radio announcers to sort of on the other end, then, you know, having beliefs of, you know, what I commonly hear from friends or advocates is, you know, this sort of God complex of believing someone is Jesus or believing someone is God or believing someone is like a savior and is meant to to go and solve, you know, the world's most uh, pressing issues. So, right. Okay. It, yeah, it's sort of, I, I would say the distinction there for me, at least, uh, is is a um, disconnect from reality with psychosis, yeah. Yeah. you know, with with the caveat being that, you know, that experience in the moment is extremely real. And so, it, so in a sense, it is reality but yeah i can't imagine the kind of conversations that you needed to have about that after you started to learn and, and get into recovery right because it must be the amount of bafflement or confusion like that must have i can only imagine that would have made it a little bit at least a little bit worse right for people to just not really be able to understand how real you just described it as being right? How, what was that experience yeah. like? Yeah, well, I think, you know, both for me, I mean, that was certainly true, and that it was hard for, you know, even close loved ones to, to sort of understand my experience or to relate to that. Yeah. And then, you know, on their end, it was difficult, because even, you know, even the doctors, the psychiatrists, um, the therapists couldn't say, with certainty that I would ever be the same, the same again, you know, it was really right. in those moments because of sort of the fallout for me being hospitalized my it was really i was i was sort of um blank lost it was almost in this state of of being sort of devoid of my like usual any sort of um joy for living right, and yeah. and sort of stripped of a personality for months um and so i think really for for those involved it was terrifying but you know in in the wake of that, in the months that followed, in the year that followed, uh, my girlfriend at the time and I then decided this was what, you know, was my first dive into advocacy and into, you know, into the mental health realm was mm. the experience she and I had faced of exactly, as you said, a lack of understanding, a lack of hopeful stories. You know, there were plenty of stories of tragedy and devastation, right. but yeah. we had really struggled to find others to relate to who understood to find these messages that recovery is possible and, and many, many people thrive, uh, you know, with their conditions, whatever yeah. it may be. So I guess we, we're going to touch on what you did about that later and something i love about your story and and uh the conversation we had when we first met was like wow like you have taken the things you're good at and the things you cared about and, and put them together to do something about before we get too much into that i'd love to explore a little bit more about how you started to cope with what i can only imagine was a little bit of a new world for you, right? I think what we really commonly 
experience is at least from the conversations I've had and definitely with myself where once we start getting into that period of recovery obviously at that point we're acknowledging that we're in recovery right so um, to use myself as an example when I was kind of a teenager, 16, 17, 18, and I had gone through years of pretty much shutting myself away from the world. That was my very much my experience from the age of like 12 to 16. It was just social anxiety, shutting myself away, being very lonely, and, and all kinds of issues came from that. But that was my reality. And when I started to say to myself, I want to do something about this, I then had to, of course, acknowledge there's a problem. You can't make a change. You can't change a problem without acknowledging there's a problem in the first place. At least that's how, that's how it was for me, right? And so at that point, it became a, a difficult it became a difficult road of recovery because I finally knew I was on a road to recovery. Describe to me what your road to recovery looked like, right? What were the ups and the downs and, and how did they kind of make you feel, if that makes any sense? Oh, yeah, no, I, I love that you bring that up because it's not a, <laughs> you know, from 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 the lowest low, it's not a straight upward trajectory. It definitely mm. wasn't so for me either. And so for me, I was, you know, early on, as you said, there's that acceptance that is needed. And so I was absolutely in denial. Um, and so I was, you know, while hospitalized, was put on medications. And I, once I was released from the hospital, started feeling pretty good. And right, yeah. I then began to think like, oh, you know, it was probably a fluke. Um, I don't like that label, that diagnosis isn't real. That's not me. Right. I don't need these meds. And so I went off my medication and you know, come sure enough, I had another psychotic break. And that, you know, that was when it hit me. That was a forced, sort of a forced reckoning where I was like, oh, the, you know, this, this is real. Um, and that, that second, you know, that second psychotic break for me was in that regard, I think even more devastating because that sort of, again, absolutely stripped me of any sense of self, any sense of confidence, any mm. sense of ability to be, you know, whole, whole again afterward. Um, and so as far as, you know, what helped me through the recovery, I would absolutely say it was support on all ends. So right. I was lucky at the time to be living with a house full of roommates in my program. Mm. They just really this, you know, I know it's it's trite to say, but this uncon this unconditional love and support. My girlfriend as well throughout all of that. And then my family. I had family members who came and spent time uh, down in Palo Alto with me. And so, you know, that was sort of the whole personal life. Yeah. Those, um, you know, those people, those those loved ones providing me the the space there to sort of find myself again. Yeah. And then, you know, also critically was in the workplace. My boss, my PhD advisor, also allowed me to sort of slowly ease my way back into the program really over a number of months. And so it, you know, it wasn't until it was about five months later that then I went through that exam that had been this sort of part of this culminating moment. And so, you know, I think for me, it was absolutely that support. And during that journey, also seeing very slowly, um, having this positive affirmation that no, I do, I have a place here, I could start to contribute again, I could get these small tasks yeah. done at work. But also, I could have these sort of great conversations, these great dinners, these great 
small gatherings with friends, family, loved ones, and slowly, yeah. slowly building back that confidence. Uh, definitely a journey there. Yeah. You know what? That resonates with me more than I can describe because I think there's a very human reason for this. Those connections can absolutely make or break pretty much everything. And so if you're in this road of road to recovery, which is such a overwhelming, but it's also a very vulnerable time. If in that space, you have that support, it almost feels like slogging through something on your own and trying to find your way out of a forest with friends. I don't know that that sounds like a bit of a, of a, of a random one of a random metaphor. But to me, that's the first image that comes to my mind. Because when you are lost, oh, and yeah. when you are searching, and when are you are putting effort into that recovery, being doing it alone is like, where, where is my map? How am I going to get out of this forest? How am I going to pull myself out of the mud? But if you fall into the mud, someone can pull you out. If you lose your map, someone else can help read the map for a little bit. Someone else can support you and actually you can support someone else too. And to me, that's been the biggest factor because in, in my life, in my experience, I've had times when there wasn't anyone there. And then the times when there have been people there have been radically different. So that's why I talk about this, this difference between the two is because when, when you don't, it's this isolating experience. It almost feels like it's getting worse, right? I don't want to be on this road to recovery because I don't have the energy to yeah. do it myself. And that is draining, it is tiring, it is lonely, and actually it's probably exacerbating some of those issues that come with it, right? So I think a really common one that comes with all types of difficult experience and trauma is depression. And I wouldn't be surprised, uh, we haven't talked about it yet, but if there's a level of depression as a result of what you've experienced, that kind of thing would be very common and understandable. And that can be made much worse, but it can also be made much better by having other yeah. people around you. Um, and I find it fascinating for this podcast specifically because if you are kind of a leader of any kind if you're a, a a young leader but even if you're just a leader over say your family right you've got a family you support or or something like that it is so invaluable for them to have you right that's that's the takeaway for me that is what i would encourage as a, as a little bit of an aside, but I would encourage everyone listening, and I'm sure you do the same, Zach, to say, you know, be that supportive person. I cannot imagine something else making such a big difference in that road to recovery, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Uh, no, we're, we're not meant to walk this path alone at all. And I think, you know, something I always, I just, I just always try to emphasize that so strongly is that, you know, we're, we're never in this alone. Whatever our adverse experiences, whatever our celebratory sort of united experiences are, we're never alone. But that, you know, of course, the the, the huge travesty and the, the tragedy is that at, sort of as you were saying, you know, never do we feel more isolated and alone than when we're in these lows and when we're experiencing depression, when we're in an anxious state, when we're experiencing psychosis, we feel like we're the only person in the world who could possibly be experiencing these things. And it's such a tragedy because one, mental health is, it touches all of us. And, you know, some 
come to find out, of course, it's some one in four of us, some one in five of us around the world who are living with a diagnosable mental health condition. And so I absolutely agree. And, you know, the parallel you bring up for leaders as well is, you know, I often I sort of often think of, of the, the trope that, you know, there's no journey more lonely than that of the entrepreneur or that of the leader. Um, because of that lack of sort of peer support. And so I think that's a, you know, there's a strong p parallel there in that peer support is is truly life-saving. Uh, it is oh, yeah. truly what keeps us going through that forest, as you mentioned. Yeah. So I've had times where the only reason I've been able to get up is because I, someone else is relying on me or I've only been able to get up because someone else wants to see me, right? So sometimes we aren't enough to motivate ourselves, but someone else is a relationship, is someone else who you know cares about you, is. And just that little bit of extra support gives you that little bit of extra energy to keep going. That can be literally life-saving. Like that is, that is a... a, a it, it can be the difference between trying and not trying at all, you know, just a little bit of support. I find that really interesting. And I wonder if we can relate this back to the idea of what it's like to have these kinds of breakdowns, right? You kind of mentioned that this, everything you've described so far started culminating because you got to a really difficult period in your program. And I'm really interested, I guess, firstly, to understand what was that difficult period in the program? What what did that look like and what did that make you feel? Because it sounds stressful, but at, at the same time, I, I you know, there could be loads of things going on there. So what what was that like that you think kind of influenced your first kind of episode of psychosis? Yeah, you know, it's kind of funny because of course this moment in my program is sort of called qualifying exams in my program or prelims in some other programs. It's basically the pivotal moment in a PhD program. So in a in a five or six year span, this is the most important moment. And so certainly, you know, one would look to that and be like, well, there's a, okay. there's a potential stressor, um, to say the least. But for me, I I say it's funny right. or kind of strange because in in my manic state yeah. throughout those weeks, those months. I was not at all worried about it. I was, you know, I was sort of excited about it. I was like, oh, it's it's no problem. I've had all these people go before me. I've heard from them. It's oh, always wow. way better than you think it's going to be. This is totally chill. And in fact, most of those, you know, many of those weeks leading up to it, I was actually working, mm. I was instead working on a publication that wasn't really directly related to preparing for the exams. And so I was spending my time sort of pouring it into this, this article we were going to submit, this scientific article. And so it's, it, yeah, it's, it's very All odd right. because I think for many, it is a catalyst <laughs> right. for breakdowns and, and sort of depression and, and extreme anxiety for sure. Um, but for me, it was, again, strange because through my mania, I was actually just you know, incredibly excited and sort of just brushed it aside. I was like, well, this is, I mean, it's going to be totally fine. It's just this short meeting. I'll just chat with these sort of professors on my committee wow. and it'll be a breeze. <laughs> um, and so that's sort of, yeah. the, you know, the odd thing about it. And so the, you know, the, the breakdown as, as you sort of call it was 
kind of instead this almost this intense buildup, mm. uh, this really, again, like this escalation of mania, this euphoria, just overwhelming sort of feelings there. Mm. I find the concept of stress especially stress in the modern day, right? In the, in the world we live in now, I find it so fascinating. Not always in a good way, unfortunately, but it's, it's this really almost scary concept where yeah. sometimes we feel stress and we know it's stress and we can tell and there's these obvious symptoms. And sometimes we think we're fine, right? So you've mentioned that it it's, might be at least in part to do with, you know, the mania. But actually, um, I've spoken to quite a few people who have had similar stories without really, you know, they're not someone who has any mental health issue in particular. And even me with my experiences, I've had something similar. So back when I was a student, I really randomly had an outbreak of hives. I don't know if you know what hives is, and it's, it's not nearly as bad uh, as as difficult of an experience as what you've just described but what's what's almost maybe really worried is that everyone was saying well you're not allergic to anything so it has to be stress the doctor said that everybody and i was kind of like but i don't feel stressed right now like i've spent i felt stressed a lot of my life and i don't feel that right now so like how can i be but it it it, but the all the proofs that it must be there and that was what was so weirdly eye-opening to me about about stress and and i wonder if a bit of a takeaway for us here in terms of stress is that sometimes you don't recognize it sometimes you won't have you know palpitations and a clenched stomach and you know the common symptoms we think come with stress sometimes it it might be that everything seems fine but is oh, it? Yeah. And that is okay. And that is natural, you know? Um, but of course, it makes it a little scary, right? Oh, totally. Yeah. It's. I mean, it makes me think, you know, this sort of stress that we may not sort of acknowledge as this this very anxiety-inducing sort of event, uh, mm. you know, is, is may instead, you know, I, I think of people talking about, you know, having this huge weight lifted from their shoulders that they didn't know yeah. was there, you know, in, in these sort of various contexts. I am... Um, also, you know, while I was in group therapy and in, in the weeks that followed uh, my hospitalization, um, you know, I also met a number of students from from Stanford as well who who were there because mm, they had okay. these these breakdowns. Some some of them also experiences of psychosis. These breakdowns, but they themselves were not, you know, they they were not diagnosed with a um, specific condition. You know that that certainly can happen in these very high stress environments. It, it would often happen. Um, you know, it can happen too with athletes. And yeah, it's really interesting these stress responses. It's a, you know another sort of funny, perhaps coincidence, okay. um, is that you know leading up, you know, while I was through this sort of period of escalating mania, I was also taking a class over at the business school with this um, this woman named Dr. Kelly McGonigal. And she has... <laughs> what you know, a name. It's, it's very... I love that. Yeah, very... Well, she has one of the, you know, one of the top 20 most popular TED Talks oh, of wow. all time on taking stress and wow. turning it into this sort of the body's warrior response. Right, right? okay, so, interesting. Maybe, maybe there was a bit of internalization there where I was like, no, this is great. This is what we're learning about, yeah. right? So it's, um, yeah, no, it's, it's very interesting, as you said, to think about these 
these complex manifestations of of stress mm. and these very sort of meaningful events or occurrences in our lives. Yeah. It's not always linear. I feel like it's very rarely linear. And you know what? That's okay. And the reason <laughs> yeah. why it was interesting for us to bring up relationships and having having support of other people earlier is because often part of this not linear process is what are we naturally scripted to do as human beings? Part of that is to be accepted by the tribe because we're more likely to survive that way, which is why loneliness is so painful. That's something I learned surprisingly recently. And it's just, and all of this kind of stuff speaks to me along the same lines. It's like, what are we yeah. naturally built to do? The, the stress and, and things like that might be because we're not so naturally built to live the kinds of stress or deal with stress the way we're dealing with it now that could be a whole conversation that i don't know if either of us are qualified or, or have time to have but i find it fascinating to listen to nonetheless what i'd love to delve into next then with our <laughs> remaining time is a little bit more around the kind of career side of things because you are a founder in the mental health space as well and so i'd love for us to talk a bit more about that and what that is and how, like I said uh, earlier on, you kind of got started doing that for some really cool reasons. So I guess as a quick intro, what do you do within as a founder within the mental health space? Yeah, so I co-founded the Manic Monologues, which is basically an organization that seeks to disrupt stigma surrounding mental health conditions and mental illness. Um, mm. And so that was, you know, a started off as a play and is now a film as well as a virtual interactive experience wow. um, that that at the time I had, had co-created with my my girlfriend at the time um, who was who was there through this experience. And so that was my foray into the mental health world. And now I work also with a number of other organizations um, across the mental health space. Wow. See, to me, that's really cool because you had, like I said, something you were good at, and then you took something that you were passionate about. It didn't really matter that you were passionate about it much more recently. You learned about something, you cared about it, you went and did something with it, and you combined the two. I'm a social entrepreneur at heart because I love making the world a better place through these kinds of things that we can do. So I find that really, really fascinating. So I guess my first kind of question to you as a leader in the mental health space is once you got into this kind of leadership role, did you feel, notice, experience in any way any of the difficulties, the challenges that you have already described to us? Did you feel any of them getting worse as a result of needing to take on this role of being a leader? I I wouldn't say worse now because it's... <laughs> It was, it was a little hard mm. to beat um, sort of the psychotic break and, and hospitalized and literally being in a state of, you know, as the doctors are describing it, catatonic for a number of days. And so it's it's hard to revisit that low and that, you know, of course, it's certainly possible. But the, you know, I think by comparison, the sort of leadership role, I would say that the feelings that came up were more along the lines of, anxiety yeah. and stress, you know, rather than this 
this sort of full-blown biological response of psychosis and of mania. Um, and so I, I would certainly, those, those things mm. come up with, with anxiety, stress, uncertainty, but was those feelings are, are quite distinct from what I experienced through mania and psychosis back in 2017. And so, you know, this may be anything from, you know, for our first performance, which was in 2019 at Stanford, you know, leading up to that year that we would show up in this yeah. 200 seat theater and it yeah. would be empty yeah. and no one would show up, right? Or so, so anything from things like that to this sort of anxiety around, um, you know, people buying into a cause, people caring, I, I think, especially when it's as, you know, as sensitive of an issue, yeah. as important of an issue, as personal of an issue as mental health, those feelings are magnified that, you know, like, somehow maybe people wouldn't show up and this would be a flag that no one cares, right? Luckily, it, we had quite the opposite nice. experience. But I mean, still to this day, you know, I, a couple years in, there's still, there's always that questioning of like, you know, is what we are doing is what I am doing, what I'm putting my effort into, is it impactful? Is it actually yeah. helping people? And is it going to be well received yeah. as well? So yeah, yeah, that particular experience of the anxiety, the worry, the buildup, I think it's important for us to kind of recognize how as much as it can feel like exactly how you described earlier it can feel like you know, this is a difficult thing and, and everyone else seems well put together. It's actually something a lot of leaders go through. And what I find really interesting about it, which I've definitely felt for myself, is it sounded like because you cared about it, you were able to get through it much more easily. Is that the kind of experience you would say you felt like you had? Or, or do you think it was just as bad. Does that kind of make sense? Well, no, I, I mean, I think, you know, I think maybe it's kind of like the the sort of advice given to people who are who are looking to launch a startup mm. is, you know, maybe maybe what you're alluding to is that, you know, if your heart isn't truly it's gonna in be it, you're, so you're not going to have a great to time, do it. Which, which I agree. Yeah. I, yeah, I totally, I totally agree with that. And so I think, um, for so many mental health advocates who I admire, so many workers in mental health, you know, oftentimes it is a thankless mm. job. It is, you know, anything from psychiatrists and psychologists being the most poorly compensated yeah. medical professionals to, you know, executive directors at large mental health awareness organizations, you know, pulling a salary that's, you know, much smaller than almost any starting salary in your sort of big three consulting firm oh, yeah. uh, or financial role, what have you. And so I think it's a, you know, it's a thankless job, but you end up, well, I, I should say thankless in some traditional metrics, but, you know, so meaningful because we have this community, this incredibly collaborative, supportive, really loving community of people with lived experiences or yeah. family members or who are just so deeply passionate really about what is um, sort of, as you mentioned, this sort of this cause that is socially yeah. just. Um, this is motivated by sort of elevating all of our rights as humans and our experiences. Mm. Um, and so I, I do think that helps, you know, for, for anyone who's, who's trying to sort of pursue, um, you know, impact yeah. within the, the nonprofit space or within these sort of mission driven organizations. Yeah. You know, what really strikes me there is as someone myself who just, jumps into things I enjoy 
at least I definitely used to, I just, I would just be like, I want to do this. I want to do this. I want to do this. And then I'd be really hard on myself when it didn't work out. What really strikes me there is it sounds to oh, me yeah. like you kept persisting because you cared about it. And that's something I really admire, but also something I'm kind of wondering as a result and it's going to sound like there might be an obvious answer, but I'm really interested to hear your thought process here is, do you feel like you needed to experience the things that you experienced to be able to have as much impact as you have now? Yeah, it's it's a great question because I, you, you know, it is, <laughs> it's probably tough. I mean, you know, the mm. answer I want to immediately give is yes, of course. <laughs> Um, absolutely had to experience these things. And I think, you know, it, mm. it brings up this question of relating to one another. You know, I think of this, mm. especially within conversations happening now around social justice, around mm. inclusion and equity is that, you know, it's, it probably is in, in many ways impossible to, mm. to walk those exact steps as someone else, uh, whether yeah. it's in, an experience with mental health or, or, uh, or an experience with racism or an experience with sexism or another form of discrimination and prejudice. Mm. And so I think that aside, I think, I think with in that regard, it's, I think that's part of why in the mental health space, like it, valuing lived experience is becoming increasingly important for very good reason. Yeah. You know, it's, we're sort of escaping some of these models where it's purely prescriptive, purely, caretakers deciding what is best for us what is best for me living with this condition right yeah and so i think that is incredibly needed i think where we sort of all connect is you know sort of looping back to earlier our again our our sort of human experience this is sort of inherently we're connected with one another mm. and so part of actually what we try to do through the manic monologues in showcasing a diversity of mental health conditions, experiences, backgrounds, is to, you know, acknowledge that all of our experiences are somewhat different, but that we can connect with each other. There's a lot of commonality. Yeah. And, and most importantly, you know, these are humans. <laughs> we're, all, yes. we're all human. These are all individuals with these beautiful, rich lives behind mm -hmm, these mm -hmm. stories. This isn't just a label. Yeah. This isn't just bipolar disorder or schizophrenia or depression. These, <laughs> every single one of us yeah. you know, has our own gorgeous yeah. life. Yeah. There's their deeper layers than we often recognize. We often see ourselves as like we've got a spotlight on us and so we're a really complicated person and everyone else exists around us, right? But of course, that isn't how life actually works. And so I'm really glad with kind of something you've described there, which is like, we don't need to to be like, yes, I'm glad I went through this because of, of who it made me today because maybe it's because it's a, a cliche of sorts, but it's become really common to be like, yes, it's good that I've gone through this. The thing that scares me about that kind of answer is, do you need to have gone through it to empathize with someone else? And of course, the answer needs to be no, because not everyone will go through the same things. But it's about that empathy to understand that everyone in that room isn't just why they're there. 
right yeah. if you're even if you're at work i'm not in this in this you know group of team this team of six people at work because gary is great at marketing and becca is great at finance you know and we're a, we're a small team no each of us has our own full life behind us it would always even back when i was in school it would annoy me so much and i get so frustrated when it was like people just didn't want to understand each other's problems because they hadn't gone through that themselves and that is what worries me but at the same time is why when i can hear stories like yours and hear of a work like yours that brings people together in these spaces you know it's really encouraging and it makes me really really happy so you know that's why i love that's why i love hearing that that's really really cool to me yeah i i mean absolutely and em empathy is mm. key so I guess I've got a couple more questions I'd love to go through with you before we wrap up. At this point in the conversation, what I'd love to understand a little more is what things you would pass on to other people, right? And we've actually naturally touched on a few of these. Empathy, which we just mentioned, is probably one of them. But I guess what I'd kind of love to hear from you next is out of everything you learned from all these experiences that you went through and and not just you know the mental health challenges but also the the journey of recovery uh the phd that you were still continuing to do you know uh, as well as all of this any work other work you might have been doing what did you learn from these experiences that shaped your journey or your ability as a leader in your space if that makes sense yeah yeah i mean that's it's a big one to unpack that question yeah but yeah you know i think for me you know I, I so one as as you mentioned you know empathy yes being key and not all of us having to go through experiences you know alongside that i will say to to go to the the cliche you know i i mm. am very thankful for these experiences because i i think for me without it you know not only would there be maybe some, you know, I think less understanding um, because I did, you know, I had to break down a lot of my own stigmatized views yeah. of what it means to live with a mental health condition, even though I have very close family members who live with diagnoses. Mm. Um, and so I think, I, you know, I'm very thankful for that. But, you know, I think even more so, I'm I'm thankful that you know, one, I've been able to connect with this community, this very tight knit community, and really find, I think, a truer sense of fulfillment and meaning and motivation through my okay. work in the mental health space. Because, you know, by, by training, I'm a, I'm a scientist, I'm a geologist. And so yeah. very different that, you know, not at all related to mental health. And I do, I love that work. I think, you know, earth history and, and the ongoings of this big mm. rock ball we live on is fascinating. But, you know, I think, I think the mental health work has, has truly given me this sense of purpose in, in a way that really mm. nothing else could. And, and a lot of that, as we've been talking about, so much of that is in thanks to the individuals I've gotten to meet through, through this work and who I get to work with. And so I think... I don't know. I mean, as far as tips for other leaders, it's, you know, as you said, it kind of touches on some of what we're thinking. I, I think especially knowing 
that we're not alone. There's, there's many who have yeah. walked similar paths. We can learn from all of them. You know, we can, we can sort of take, um, of course, you know, these, these sort of individual experiences of this vast array of people and, and sort of think about yeah. how it may apply to our own life. Of course, that goes along with this idea of, of empathy, of connection, of, of listening to, to others and, and being, you know, just a little bit open-minded. It's not always the, mm. the, um, <laughs> I don't know, it's, it's not always the, the sort of seminar with the American Bar Association that's going to make us a better lawyer, right? It's like sometimes it's, right. it's plugging into a slightly different community and we're, we're always going to have things to yeah. learn. So mm, It's okay to listen and it's okay to be wrong as well and learn from sources you never expected to. I think that's a big takeaway from what you've just said to me, right? Because you were learning from the world in a way as weird as or even hippie as that sounds, <laughs> right? You were learning from yeah. things that happened to you and that is very valid and useful experience that you're transforming into how can we make the world a better place and yeah. to me that really resonates you know yeah i'll give you know this, this brings up an analogy that i'll give is that you know one as you said sort of learning from unexpected mm. places i you know i would have never predicted that putting on a play that entering the theater world the world mm. of live theater you know, would require sort of this greater array of yeah. both sort of leadership skills, but also these skills, again, as so to speak, like a founder or this creator, just, just this unimaginable suite that really yeah. in, in many wow. ways made my PhD program seem much less stressful than putting on a theatrical production. And you know, I, I guess another, the, the analogy I'm thinking of is for our most recent virtual production, we had a, a web developer and a software engineer who was, who was basically coding up the platform mm. that our multimedia designer and, and sound designer were uh, sort of on the creative end, mm -hmm. conceptualizing. Right. And this person, the software engineer, you know, CS grad from MIT, mm -hmm. <laughs> the, the whole suite as you know, is now a faculty member um, for the for the new school and has worked, you know, various code academies and, you know, sort of incredible individual, incredibly talented. Um, but she had shared with us, you know, <laughs> something she shared that there was nothing that she had ever experienced that was more stressful wow. than, than contributing to theater. And mind you, this is someone who is a whiz at MIT all through this and, and is, you know, did such an incredible job with the platform. But I, you know, I think it speaks to, it's easy to think in our silos yeah. or our individual realms that perhaps we are in the most difficult or maybe a less difficult pursuit. But, you know, I think that that is sort of a really, you know, really valuable, as you said, is, is learning across these disciplines, yeah. uh, whether it's across industry, across the uh, international boundaries yeah. across other demographic boundaries so yeah absolutely wow. and if you had to to leave us off to distill that into one piece of advice for other leaders listening to this right now what piece of advice would you give us i would say you know connect connect across boundaries mm connect oh i yep. love that it's so simple but there's so much to unpack there but a hundred percent boundaries obviously divide us and the more divided you are from others the more difficult it is to learn from 
them and therefore from their experiences and and actually the thing something i've always loved is the teams i've always worked on have always been incredibly diverse in background belief etc and that i feel like that's taught me more than i ever learned and in school or university as weird as that sounds (laughs) that you know that piece of advice that piece of advice just just that hits home for me and it really resonates as far as everything we've talked about around mental health too because not everyone will experience your mental health issues even if you feel like you've got the more common ones like depression or anxiety so you know everyone has something new to share and that can make you a better person a better leader uh, a better a better at social impacts a better you know person in relationships better friend family member Ah, oh, to me, to me, that is such a great all-encompassing piece of advice. We are going <laughs> to leave it there for today. Zach, where can people find you if they want to learn more about you or get in touch or anything else like that? Yeah, I, I mean, people can find me personally on LinkedIn. Um, feel free to send a request or send a message um, under Zachary Burton. And as far as learning more about the Manic Monologues, we have a website. So if you type the Manic Monologues into Google, you'll be able to visit that. It's really just themanicmonologues.org. And we also have a free uh, virtual experience uh, that was recently released this year um, with a bunch of actors from Broadway and film that's available for the coming years to anyone with an internet connection. So there's, nice. there's ways to plug in, to engage with these stories. And, you know, also, I mean, don't don't ever hesitate to reach out as well. I love that. I'll put all that down in the uh, description. But Zach, thank you so much for joining us. It has been an amazing episode and uh, I really, really appreciate it and look forward to uh, everyone kind of receiving as much from this as as they can. It's been really cool. So thank you very much. Likewise. Thanks so much. All right. Thank you so much for tuning in, everyone. Sharing our stories like this can be difficult, but we just find it so important for leaders and especially young leaders to know that they are not alone in experiencing mental health challenges. A final reminder before we close that across this season, I am running a giveaway. All you need to do is fill out a really quick survey for me. It helps me out a lot. And if you can, I'd also love for you to leave a review for the show on Apple Podcasts. Thank you so much for your support. It genuinely means a lot. I've been Seven. This has been Lost and Searching. And we will be back very soon.